Welcome, welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. This is your co-host Jay Chima with the pride and joy of Merrimack, New Hampshire. The Puma. Welcome in, brother man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. We uh, we took last week off, had to do some stuff. Life happens, but you know it's good to be back. You know, not like a whole lot has changed in the NFL landscape. You still have Lamar, do, you know, being Lamar, going out on Twitter, airing things, and. A.A. Ron is still in a holding pattern while with, you know, the Packers and the Jets and all this nonsense. But other than that, life's good. I hate Ivy. I found that out today. Why is that? Uh, Why do you hate Ivy? So we're getting a siding done at our house. And, uh, you know, this Ivy that was growing, uh, you know, in front in like this little yard area. And apparently it's like it's taken over the side of the house. And uh I have to rip that up uh, before yeah. the installers come, and my God, is it god awful! I'm a Cubs fan, and Wrigley Field <laughs> has ivy on the outfield wall. And after today, I was like, you know, if they want to take a blowtorch to that, have at it. Like I yeah. am so over this ivy nonsense. But so, how what's the height of this ivy? Like you're on top of the roof, or like where's it growing? I mean, to? I'm gonna need like at least a 10 foot ladder to take down like this great looking thing that the Ivy was supposed to just grow on. But then it went wild kingdom and grew like the length of the left-hand side of the front of the house. And now it's embedded in shrubs. I had to take like, you know, Ivy killer to things today. I can't wait to go out tomorrow and see like every (laughs) shrub is just nuked, but whatever. But yeah, that's, that's where I'm at in life. My house, they said. That's the joys of uh, homeownership, right? You basically become Tim the Toolman Taylor, no matter what. Yeah, something like that. I just I'm trying to figure out like what size ladder do I need to buy from Home Depot tomorrow in order yeah. for me like to judge how much do I want to fall off of this friggin' thing. Yeah. Well, you can always use um. So I don't know if iPhones have this feature or not, but you can always use like uh, iPhone can take pictures and basically tell you how long or like how big, how tall that object is. Mm. So I don't know if there's some sort of app that you can use for, for Androids where you can just take a picture. I'm like, all right, well, this thing is nine foot tall. I got to get this much ladder kind of thing. Right. Yeah. We were talking about AI a few minutes ago. So I'm sure, I'm sure yeah, the AI, AI chat bots GPT. can help you. <laughs> yeah. They, chat GPT's got this. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if you typed in like, how tall is my wall in my house? And it figures that out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's scary that's scary stuff uh mm. but yeah man it's good to be back in the saddle here um you know we took last week off and there's a little bit of a lull um after most of the free agency stuff happened and to be real this year's free agency wasn't as hyped as most people thought it was going to be and now the next upcoming big count the big calendar item uh, is the nfl draft which is about in two or three weeks so a little bit of a lull not that much news coming out the lamar jackson's still floating out there and rogers news is still floating but this morning an interesting little nugget was dropped by one Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk. Um, he reports that the Patriots this offseason were shopping Mac Jones. Uh, apparently, the the rift between Bill Belichick and Mac Jones is still there from where originally in the season, Mac Jones went outside the building for help, which in turn got back to Bill Belichick, and he wasn't happy about that. Um, so that rift is still there. And from what I understand, it's getting worse by the day <laughs> from all the reports coming out to the point now where Bill Belichick has had open conversations with four different teams. I believe it was the Raiders, the Texans, the Commanders, and one other team I'm forgetting right now that he had conversations in regards to moving Mac Jones. Um, and Mike Floria says it can still happen. Around the draft time, there's still speculation out there that Mac Jones could be moved. So 
Puma, like I, I have always never, you know, I saw this news this morning and the first thing I did was I jumped for joy. <laughs> you know my my feelings on Mac Jones. Um, but what was your first initial thought when you saw this report? So when I, when I first saw this, I, I laughed because I immediately yeah. thought of you and a possible pants <laughs> tent that you had. Remember, remember draft night? <laughs> oh, draft night. I was like, I, I don't know if I should just go to the other room. Like you were so pissed you weren't talking. So I was like, all right. Here we go. This is fine. Well, for, um, for, for you out there that don't know me, when Mac Jones was selected, I decided to go into quiet mode. And if you don't know me, quiet mode for me is really bad. Like I'm always, I'm a chatty Cathy. I'm out there talking to everybody. So I'm not talking. It means I'm really, really fired up beyond belief. And that night I was, I was livid. I've never been that mad. I haven't been that mad in a long time. Yep. Defcon one in the silver house on draft night. But, um, <laughs> No, Jay, when I first saw this report, uh, you know, I, I like part of me, as much as I am not a Mac Jones fan, like I'm not, but like for Bill to get pissed that Mac Jones in the middle of a lost second year with Bozo Deluxes at the offensive coordinator position and Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, the fact that Bill was getting pissed that Mac Jones called up like uh, Steve Sarkeesian, I believe, who I uh, who's former offensive coordinator at one point at Alabama, current head coach of the University of Texas, to call him to, like, discuss, like, that was the bridge too far out of that whole offseason, to me, is just asinine at best. Like, the last year was just an absolute clown show. Uh, this season is starting to shape up to be an absolute mm -hmm. joke as well, too, for the lack of moves. And I don't think this was an accident that this was leaked right before the draft. I'm just, you know, I know Boston Radio was talking about this today, too, like, which camp leaked this? Like, was it Bill trying to force the old man's hand and Bob Kraft and signing off on a deal? Is it Mac Jones trying to, you know, create a bigger divide in the building to force his way out? I kind of lean towards it's in Mac's camp that was causing this. But at the end of the day, Jay, I don't blame Mac Jones for doing what he did because he had to talk to some you know, air quote, adult in the room to try to figure out like what to do offensively in the scheme. Because to be quite honest with you, Jay, not even God knew what this offense was trying to do last year. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question. Um, I know we always take um, Mac Jones sign the situation. Well, most people do. Obviously, I don't. But a lot of times people say what you say, you know, hey, at the end of the day, you were riddled with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And, and I get it that obviously you don't want that as your offensive coordinators. But what does it say? to the fact that Bailey Zappi was able to put up 28 points in back-to-back -back weeks uh, or more, um, basically with those two offensive coordinators. It seems to me that a lot of the issue, and this is the way I see it, that Mac Jones was not vibing with that offense is because he'd never bought in. And when you see a kid in Bailey Zappi buying in, who's a simple yes sir, no sir kind of guy, you saw some of the potential that Bill Belichick was hoping to get out of those offensive coordinators. Now, I'm not saying Bailey Zappi and, and you know, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia were going to be able to go light up the Kansas City Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills and take them down, but we saw a, a market improvement from where uh, Mac Jones was as a quarterback and where Bailey Zappi was just because of simple buy-in, simple just like you know, saying yes or no, sir, and running the plays as needed instead of having a temper tantrum. And I think that's the root cause of why this conversation is coming up again because – Belichick saw from day one, this kid wasn't a leader. I've always been saying that. I think he's a false leader. He never bought in, and he just made everything much worse. Like, instead of being a leader, buying in, and, and you know, carrying the message of the coaches throughout the locker room, he was openly defiant of those messages, and it led to a cluster F of a season.
Right. But then on the other side of that, like, yeah, Bailey Zappi looked great in those two starts. And then he came in relief uh, during the Bears game, had one good drive and then came back, came crashing back down to earth. Like this whole yeah. team is just was a dumpster fire last year. But to the other point, like, is this more of a sign of Bill missing in the draft again? Or was this a sign of Nick Saban sandbagging Bill? Because if you're Nick Saban and you have this connection with Bill Belichick, why would like what are you giving Bill well, for info as well, to like why you should take this guy or why you shouldn't but, take this guy? But Bill had that information. Bill knew they called him McEnroe, obviously down in Alabama. Bill heard of those stories out there that, you know, even Bell, Nick Saban said this publicly, he runs hot. He he raises emotion on his sleeves as he, as he said it. So I assume behind closed doors, Nick Saban is not selling Bill Belichick a bill of goods, right? And even if he is, it's still on Bill Belichick to assess this this quarterback and make the decision as needed, right? So, I, I mean, I, I would say from the whole Tom Brady, uh, Bill Belichick, you know, um, analysis as well, like it was still on Bill Belichick to figure out who Tom Brady was and what kind of arm he still had before they moved on from him. Same situation here. Like nobody can force him to take anybody. He took Mac Jones and for the first, you know, 11 games of year one, he looked all right. And then he kind of fell apart and he hasn't been the same ever since then. Now, I wonder if there's more issues that aren't, aren't being made public uh, between Bill Belichick and Mac Jones. Cause I think there's a lot more fire behind all the smoke. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think so as well too. I mean, you know, you come off of that rookie year, you're a pro bowler and, you know, you do that nonsensical gritty in the end zone. Oh my God. Um, but, you know, going into year two, he was, you know, across the industry pegged as a quarterback that was going to take the massive leap. Essentially what Trevor Lawrence did this year in Jacksonville with Doug Peterson, that is what Mac Jones was supposed to do, mm -hmm. uh, even with like these nonsensical you know, roster and personnel decisions, people still held out hope being like, well, the old man knows what he's doing. So maybe he's going to turn all the right screws. At the end of the day, I just read this as Bill misread the room. He bought into his own ego and he bought into his own stock thinking, yeah, you know, Mac McCorkle Jones, McEnroe, I'll just grind him down to fit into my mold of a quarterback and my mold of a system guy. And, you know, Mac Jones kept kicking out it too and kept telling the old man where to go and how to get there. Uh, and we've seen people released for less, a la Jonas Gray, a la Malcolm Butler, you know, so on and so forth. I think the, the issue here is, and I know your thoughts on Bob Kraft, they were talking about this on Boston Radio today too. Like any trade that's going to happen, essentially Bob Kraft has to sign off on. So like, mm -hmm. is this going to be the final stop of like the Bill Belichick train? And there's been reports coming out earlier this week that Bill may not stay in New England, uh, you know, in, within the next couple of years and he might be coaching elsewhere. Like, is yeah. this going to finally be the straw that breaks the camel's back where Bob Kraft puts that line in the sand? It's like, no, we are not trading Mac Jones. We are going to fix this problem. And, you know, Bill O'Brien has come in there as the last bastion of hope for this kid. Um, but I, I feel like this is going to be a prolonged thing throughout the season. So let me ask you this. So, uh, you know, it seems that Bob Kraft is hell bent on making sure Mac Jones works, right? And it seems that Bill Belichick is out on Mac Jones. I mean, from all the smoke that's out there, there's got to be a fire behind there somewhere. So, do you foresee Mac Jones being the quarterback of the New England Patriots next year? Or do you see a scenario where, you know, right now, obviously, like Florida reported, you know, Belichick shopped Mac Jones, three or four teams were in on him, but nothing happened. Or do you see something happening during the trade deadline? And 
And before you answer that, I, I think this speaks to a bigger mini Cold War happening between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick. Like mm -hmm. you're seeing two men trying to grapple an organization. And I've said this many a times. At the end of the day, Robert Kraft is the owner of the New England Patriots. That's what it says legally on the paperwork. However, Bill Belichick is a true owner of that organization. I still believe Bill Belichick has this organization by the balls. And there's no way in hell that Robert Kraft is going to be able to wrestle back some power. He's trying his best. He's trying his best right now. But unless you fire him flat out, Robert Kraft, you're in a world of hurt. You're just along the ride like the rest of us are. I mean, I think an argument can be made that Bill is managing this not just situation, but this offseason and upcoming campaign in a way that he is trying to get fired, in my opinion. He's trying so, to tempt huh? the face. I think so, Jay. I mean, there's been all these rumors of, oh, they're going to be in on this and, oh, they're going to be in on that. And I mean, I, I feel like the, 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 you know, the swan song of this or like the, the first salvo, I should say, was the hiring of Joe Judge and Matt Patricia last year. But to get back to your question, I think he is going to be the quarterback moving forward, even into next year, because I mean, if this was the quarterback class last season where Matt Corral and Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter were being touted as these potential number one quarterbacks, which none of them are. Uh, and I'm saying that as an old Miss guy and Matt Corral. Uh, yeah, sure. I could buy that argument of trading up for, for, you know, trading Mac Jones and getting draft picks and whatever, but with, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, uh, AR-15, Anthony Richardson, uh, Will Levis and, and company. Hell, maybe Hendon Hooker might be a late-round draft pick in the first round. Like, there are options there. Like, I, I don't think people are going to – I don't think the Saints are going to move off of their draft pick and possibly get one of these young guns uh, and, and take a, a possible head case in Mac Jones. They just signed Derek Carter, that massive contract. Mac Jones is going to want to play. It doesn't make sense there. Uh, unless Jimmy Garoppolo and Brian Hoyer get hurt out in Las Vegas, I don't think that's going to jive either. I just don't see a seat open for him, barring like the insane possibility that we live in a world where Aaron Rodgers does not go to the New York Jets. Woody Johnson's like, F Zach Wilson, I'm not doing that new nonsense. Let's try to strike a deal in the division and get back shows. I just, I don't see a chair open for this game. How about San Francisco? At the end of the day, I mean, they, they, had were in on, they were in they on were, trading up. That was the rumor, right? Like they were no. trading up to get Mac Jones at, at two. Um, I mean, I you, you, sent, that. you sent Trey Lance back to New England. They try to fix Trey Lance. Mac Jones gets out underneath, underneath Bill Belichick. He goes to the team that was originally going to take him. Um, the Vikings, the, they've got a quarterback that's essentially going to be done on his contract right in a year from now. And that's why they're talking the extension. He's just – Mac Jones is basically Kirk Cousins, right? I think there mm -hmm. are spots out there, and I think eventually as the draft comes around and the draft comes and goes and teams you know, that were wanting a quarterback don't get a quarterback, I think Mac Jones could be a viable option. The question really needs to be asked, how badly, um, how bad is, is this relationship between Belichick and Mac Jones? That's the real question here, and I think it's pretty bad. And I think there's a, there's a really good chance he might not be the quarterback next year. Now, I'm not saying we might go back in there and draft another quarterback. I'm not saying we're going to go get – Anthony Richardson or whatever it is, but I, I think there's a real scenario here where they like what they saw out of Zappi. They see no major difference between Mac Jones and Zappi. Like, I'm not saying Zappi is better than Mac Jones. All I'm saying is Zappi is the equivalent to Mac Jones but with a better attitude, and I think Belichick sees that as, I can make this kid work. All right. I mean, I could see it. I can buy it. It's just all right well, for you know argument's sake. Like they trade, they trade uh, Mac Jones to whoever. 
Yeah. Now you're with Zappy and what? You're going to sign Carson Wentz as a backup. You're going to sign old man Matt Ryan as a backup. You're going to try to pull a 49ers and get like the next Brock Purdy as Mr. Irrelevant. Like some of the guys on like that are available on the streets right now are, you know, as messed up as it sounds, worse than Mac Jones right now. I mean, Matt Ryan withered in front of her eyes last year. Marcus Mariota, depending on who you ask, either left because his wife was in labor or just flat out quit on the team when Desmond Ritter finally got the tap to start, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks of the season last year. And I mean, if that's the case, right, let's say let Marcus Mariota quit on the team just for argument's sake. Isn't that worse than what Matt Jones did talking to Steve Sarkeesian? Like yeah. all these guys that are available on the street to quote Cam Newton, all these randoms are worse than Mac Jones. So you might as well ride it out with Mac. And if that means, and I, I've been saying this for a while offline, I'm going to say it here. Um, Bill Belichick is on borrowed time, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like this is a cold war that's going on between the guy that's cutting the paychecks and the guy that's touted as inventing the Patriot way. Uh, let's say they have another bad season this year, which I think is very possible in this AFC you know, conference that is still a hell in a cell compared to the NFC uh, conference let's they have another bad year like at what point does does bob Kraft just rip the band-aid off and says okay like bill o'brien or, or gerard mayo i think they tapped gerard mayo as the next head coach or uh, waiting in the wings like this is going to be your show now but i mean there's clearly a you know a divide between these two guys and i think this is because bob has been kicking himself for letting Bill let Tom walk out the door and win a Super Bowl from the jump uh, in Tampa Bay as soon as he signed with them. Now, hear me out, all right, with an open mind, okay? Mm. Mac Jones gets traded. Tom Brady comes back, finishes his career in New England. Let's go. LFG. You going to play with the old man? <laughs> okay, for argument's sake. What reconciliation is going to happen between Tom and the old man Bill Belichick when Bill can't even figure out the right way to motivate Mac Jones and, and push the right buttons to get this kid to actually buy into the fucking program. What yeah. talk me through how they're going to reconcile. I didn't say it was a good, you know, idea. I'm just saying as a fan, as a fan, I'd love to see that happen. I mean, no way in hell do I see that happening. No way in hell Tom Brady goes back to Bill Belichick. The the divide there is just too big. We think the divide between Mac Jones and Bill Belichick is big. Uh, Tom Brady's is bigger. So, yeah, I'm just I'm just joking here. But I do think what could happen is I do think like I said, they don't see a big difference between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, except Bailey Zappi has a better attitude. So, if Mac Jones is the, you know, the guy that eventually is going to get you to the Super Bowl, then might as well start Bailey Zappi and draft another quarterback and start over again. Like, I know it sucks, but that's essentially where we're at right now. You, they Reports have come out. They've fallen in love with DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson from, from UCLA. They love that kid. Um, you, they probably won't be able to take you know Anthony Richardson unless he falls at 14. So there are ways out of this. I just think that it, it, it's going to take a lot of convincing to Robert Kraft to go along with the plan. And, and I think ultimately Robert Kraft will go along with the plan because he doesn't want to lose Bill Belichick. Because if Bill Belichick does dig in his heels here, Robert Kraft's going to cave, just like he did with Tom Brady. Like, if, if Robert Kraft caved to Tom Brady walking, like, what the hell is Mac Jones here? Like, what are, we talk, what are we talking about here? Do you think, you know, before we move on, like, there's... Do you think Bob is seeing parallels between... Because you met, you just mentioned it yourself, like... The divide between Tom and the old man is worse than what's going on with Mac and the old man. Do yeah. you think Bob Kraft is noticing a parallel between 
what is going on. And the only difference is, is Mac Jones is, you know, I've heard that today, like of the generation that is going to put everything on front street. Whereas Tom might've been the good soldier because you have people in the new England Patriot locker room, uh, specifically, I believe it was Devin McCourty that came out a couple of weeks ago saying that Mac Jones was a great leader in the locker room. And he was, a, he was the guy and he's, she shows all the right qualities. Whether or not McCourty is blowing smoke up people's asses is open to interpretation, but there is a clear parallel as to why the, you know, the old man has these divides with the franchise quarterback. Is it one of those deals of like, you know, I'm bigger than you, even though you're the, you're the guy, you're the quarterback on the team making these, you know, Super Bowl runs and, and, or going to the pro bowls and stuff. Like, do you think it's just this simply is, ego? This is what people don't understand. And I've been trying to say this for years now. Belichick's a petty man. And he's always been this way. He's always been this way from 2001. The thing is, they were winning back then, so a lot of it was covered up. But if you look at the track record, he burnt out Tom Brady and started fighting with him. He's burnt out Mac Jones and started fighting with him. He's basically burnt out Robert Kraft now, and he's fighting with him in a Cold War situation. The common denominator is Bill Belichick. He's, he's just who he is. He's a curmudgeon old man that's just grumpy, and he wants you to respect him because he's the God's gift to coaching. It's always been like this from 2001. Back then, winning covered all it up. Uh, winning the best deodorant, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're losing. So, I mean, it's always been like that, Puma. Mm. That's just who he is. That's just who he that's is. Why, that's why I think, like, this is going to be, like, Bob Kraft pulling a Denzel going back in time and deja vu. And it's, like, not on my watch. Like, we're mm-hmm. not doing this again. Like, I think Bob might genuinely either – he might like the kid or this might be, like, the hill that Bob is willing to die on. It's like, no, really? I'm not gonna die on Mac Jones's hill? Like, Bob Kraft is legitimately going to die on Mac Jones's hill when he did die so. on Tom Brady's hill. Because I think that because of the narrative that you said of on paper, Bill, you know, Bob might own the team, but Bill is running that entire organization. I think this is going to be like so, his. So, what you're, so he's dying on the hill of a Mac Jones, but in reality, it's a bigger conversation than he's, yes. he's dying on the hill for. He's trying to get back to control. Yeah, Mac Jones is just going to an end. I can buy that. I mean, if you favor, if you phrase it that way, I'm totally on board. Because yeah. Robert Kraft, somebody has to corral Bill Belichick. I mean, it's going to be hard to do now after 20 years of letting him run wild. But if that's the way that you painted it, I can buy that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Put it on yeah. the board. Within 24 months, Bill's going to be out of that building. I can see that, too. I can see that, too. Because ultimately, the way I see this is Robert Kraft basically put Bill Belichick on the hot seat, just like you mentioned as well. Some of those comments he made last week were pretty poignant, especially the one about how, at the end of the day, you win or you lose in this league. I, it's something to that effect, right? So... Mm-hmm. I do believe with this upcoming season in the AFC in the AFC East, the Patriots are going to be either third or fourth, vying for that you know wild card spot. They probably might miss out on it again. Another eight nine season, nine and eight season. That's not good enough for Robert Kraft. I think eventually he's going to get pushed out the door. It's going to happen. It's just it's just a matter of time, just like you said. And I can't wait to see the Boston babies' reactions. Oh, I am oh, yeah. fucking here for it, baby. You know, you know my reaction, right? Oh, you're gonna you're gonna build a statue. <laughs> You'll have a statue in front of the in front of your uh, your joint out in Columbus, man. I can't wait. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, Puma. Let's move on to our continuing uh, series here of uh, previewing divisions. Now, la- this week we're doing the AFC West, so we'll start off with the Kansas City Chiefs. What is your Kansas City Chiefs three point plan for the offseason? 
I mean, for me, it's really going to be, you know, Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore. Like, they're going to have to step up in this offense with the, the departures of Miko Hardman and, and Juju Smith-Schuster. I, I, you know, I never thought I would say Juju was a, a key loss in the offensive side of the football. But, you know, down the stretch of the playoffs and the Super Bowl, for sure. Um, you know, Tony, Tony's got the talent. It's just whether or not like the headspace is there and whether or not he can stay healthy and sky more I'm high on, uh, for, for this, uh, this kid, he's going to be a second year, uh, wide receiver. He was drafted last season, but I, I have high hopes for him in this offense. I definitely think he can fit that role of what Nicole Hardman and what they think he could be in a potential, like a uh, Tyreek Hill light type of scenario. Uh, so I, I look forward to those two taking the big step forward and fantasy football wise, like I'm probably going to be a little bit more invested in Sky more than what I was last year. Um, the other one, it's going to be a common theme amongst every team is the offensive line. They let Orlando mm-hmm. Brown walk and, and Andrew Wiley walk. Wiley went to the commanders and Orlando Brown went to, I guess you could say now, uh, you know, AFC rival in the Cincinnati Bengals. They've, they've banged, you know, pretty, uh, pretty interestingly in, in games in the last couple of years. So, you know, they let those guys walk. They add Jawan Taylor from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, it, you know, the left tackle position is not really something that's natural for Taylor. So that's going to be something interesting to watch. And no be enemy, no problem. I mean, Matt Nagy's now going to be the offensive coordinator. He was the OC there prior with, uh, with Andy Reid. I mean, we all know Andy Reid is calling the plays. But, you know, over the last couple of seasons, there have been reports that uh, Mahomes – and Bienemy weren't on the same page, and sometimes it was visible on the sideline. And even Travis Kelsey had something to say a few times on the sideline uh, to EB. So I want to see how this offense looks uh, with with uh, with Matt Nagy. I don't think it's going to take a giant step back. I think it might take a step forward, if anything. Now that there's a different voice in the offensive side of the football. Yeah, yeah, and for me, it somewhat uh, aligns with your three-point plan as well. It's basically replace Orlando Brown. You got to address the defensive line, and you've got to find a wide receiver one, right? So number one, replacing Orlando Brown. You can probably the best way of doing this is a draft, right? You find that guy at left tackle that you can bring in, that you can mold, that you can have protecting Patrick Mahomes' blind side for the next 10, 15 years. Essentially, grow with him, right? A couple of guys that come to mind: Dewan Jones from Ohio State, freak athlete. If he's if he's there anywhere near that spot, jump up and take him. If he's gone, maybe take Anton Harris from OU from Oklahoma, kid right down the road. He's also a beast. Uh, addressing the defensive line. I don't think Jalen Carter is going to slide that much because now his agent said he, you know, he's only going to take uh, meetings with top ten teams. But if he somehow gets down to the twenties and you essentially move up and take him, that would be mint because they've got to address that defensive line. I mean, it's been, you know, they've had a ro- people come in and out of that defensive line. They've got to essentially shore that up. And with the talent in the AFC in the AFC West, with the offenses in the AFC West, you're going to have to have you know edge rushers and a defensive line that can get over that can get to opposing quarterbacks. And then finally, replacing wide, you know, finding a wide receiver one. You know, Juju obviously is a wide receiver two, um, and they were lucky last year that they went and won the Super Bowl with just Travis Kelsey. But you know, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think that's something that you can rely on, right? You can't just go into year and a year out and just having Patrick Mahomes with a wide receiver two and a tight end one and win the Super Bowl. So whether it's OBJ or Hopkins, or if they feel that Kadarius Tony can take the next step to becoming wide receiver one, they've got to somehow figure that out as well. Now, now the one question I have for you, Puma, is you know you mentioned this, and this is something I wanted to kind of expand on a little bit. 
you know, with Eric Bieniemy leaving, right? I know at the end of the day, we all think Patrick Mahomes is going to plug and play, and essentially it's the Tom Brady of the 20 years of the New England dynasty where it doesn't matter if he's below Brian Josh McDaniels. But this really is the first time we're seeing a shift in offensive philosophy and a shift in offensive coordinator for Patrick Mahomes. So do you see any sort of like taking a step back, kind of like how Josh Allen did this year without Brian Dable, or do you think it's going to be smooth, seamless transition next year, picking right up where they left off? Honestly, I think it's going to be smooth. Uh, I think it's just going to be picking up right where they left off just because, you know, no disrespect to EB, you know, Andy Reid was calling those plays. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yep. Like he and he would, you know, he would essentially like relay it to EB and EB would key it up on the on the microphone and he'd hear it in the helmet. Like there was never any report of EB was just strictly doing all of the offensive play calling and Andy Reid was just standing there. Like, you know, I think the same is going to happen with Matt Nagy. You know, Matt Nagy's just going to be singing from the same sheet music per se. So I don't anticipate this being like a day ball to uh, to Ken Dorsey situation. I think it's just going to be, you know, right where they left off. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the Raiders three-point plan for the offseason. I'll jump in here first. So, you know, the easy one here is they've got to fix that defense, right? I mean, that defense is, is an absolute sieve. Um, you know, they're out there trying to add gun a bad defense, and it's hard to do in that division. Like we mentioned a few seconds ago, that division, you've got Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and now whatever Sean Payne rolls out as an offense, you're going to have to have a defense that can get after, after people and, and get stops. The second being you got to draft and develop a quarterback with the future. Like Jimmy Garoppolo, let's be real, he's a one-year guy, two max, who's probably going to miss half those, uh, half those games. He's going to be on the strip banging showgirls, you know, not playing because of hangnails, and you're going to have to find a – a backup quarterback and develop them. I would take somebody like AR. There's rumblings they're going to move up and try to take Will Levis. Whatever it is, got to find somebody to draft, take them, develop them, and have them ready to go eventually when Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. And then finally, Josh McDaniels got to take the next step as a head coach. This has been his fourth season now as a head coach. Two at Denver, one last year, fourth going in as a head coach, where he's fallen short of expectation. Let's be real about it. He's been a little bit of a disaster um, the two years in Denver weren't the best. He took Team Tebow famously in the first round, which was, I think, means for firing him at that point. But last year in itself, with all the weapons on offense, I still couldn't believe how bad that team was. So I think this is the year that Josh McDaniels has got to step up his game as a head coach as well. Yeah, uh, I pretty much echo everything you just said. I mean, the, the only thing I have to say is, like, they have to fix that O-line because, you know, I know – toward down the stretch like they had a nice you know core group of guys that finally was you know able to stabilize the offensive line a little bit but with garoppolo's injury history like you know he pretty much needs like the uh you know the iron curtain of russia from the cold war to protect (laughs) this guy uh in order to keep him upright uh so it's really it's gonna come down to garoppolo like is he gonna be able to play all you know 17 17 games of the season plus a potential playoff run if they even make it to that point and become a wild card team, uh, I, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, this definitely, he's just going to be a placeholder for the a quarterback that they take. It's just whether or not they're going to be on the move. I personally think they they're going to be on the move and move up the draft board to get a quarterback. And then, like you said about McDaniel's Jay, like he needs to win. Like he needs mm-hmm. to win now. They have a brand new stadium in Las Vegas. Like you can't have a bad product out there, and that stadium becomes you know, what the Chargers stadium has been in LA and what it was before that, when they were playing out at the, I think the StubHub arena, uh, when, when the, when the building was being built, like you can't have that, like be a home game for the road team. As weird as it sounds like you figure, you know, that 
it's Las Vegas. Like it's going to be a touristy town. Like, you know, people are going to want to fly out there to see a game. But honestly, I've seen more like silver and black, you know, in the stands, even with how the product was last year. So if they if they have like another clunker of a season, they're just I, in my opinion, they might lose that fan base uh, and it would just become like what the Chargers had to deal with. So those are, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Those are my two main points. Uh, but yep. what you said on the defense is spot on. <laughs> yeah, especially in that division. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to. The Los Angeles Chargers. Three-point plan for these guys. And for me, this is a little bit, it's fairly simple, right? It's going to be building depth at wide receiver, building depth at edge rush, and Justin Herbert's got to become an elite quarterback. So building depth at wide receiver. Like, the thing with the Los Angeles Chargers roster is it's so top-heavy that the second somebody gets hurt, you're kind of screwed, right? So number one with wide receivers, yes, you've got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. But the second those guys get hurt, the reason why the Chargers offense last year was so spotty and hit and miss was because those guys were hurt and there's nobody there to pick up the slack. Same thing with Ed Rush. Yes, they've got Bosa and Mac, but the second those guys got hurt, you couldn't get to the quarterback. It was basically like, you know, basically a paper mache defense at that point with all the injuries uh, piling up. So the, you got to build depth across the roster, but especially at the wide receiver and the edge rush position. Now, finally, Justin Herbert. Like, you know, you know me and how I feel about him, how I used to feel about him. I think I used to think the world of the guy. He had an absolute cannon. Physical skill sets are all there. But I still can't get over the fact that he gave up a 27-0 lead in the playoffs. So with that being said, this offseason, he's got to come up with some sort of killer will, Good, you know, show some good leadership skills. All the stuff that we say as buzzwords were essentially the issue he had in college. Like all the stuff you're seeing now play on the NFL was 100% spot on why people didn't think he was the best quarterback in that draft and why he lacked some of those intangibles. So I'm hoping he's learned year three that, you know, he's got to take the next step. Um, Hopefully a big contract helps out with that, right? Um, But essentially he's got to step his game up as well. For sure. you know, for mine, I mean, Brandon Staley, at this point, he, he's going to be on borrowed time if he does not make, you know, not just like a run in the playoffs. He just needs to make better head coaching decisions. Like, mm-hmm. I understand the, the hot topic, the hot buzzword is, you know, using math to figure out if you should go for it or not. But sometimes it's like, do we really want to go for it on fourth down when it's like fourth and 10 and we're on our own 30? Like, do we, do we really want to do that? Like I, I understand every now and then, but like kids every friggin' time, like, no, that it doesn't make sense. Some of the decisions don't make sense. And for me, the other point is not only just edge rush, Jay, like they need to fix the interior defensive line because that mm-hmm. deep for a team that's head coached by a former defensive coordinator for the Rams, they couldn't stop the run to save their life. And that's just how sometimes they lost games was they, you know, you had other teams willing to grind it out and run and get the short yardage. And, you know, you grind that defense down and they break open, uh, you know, a 20 yard run. That's just a backbreaker. And, you know, you lose the game on top of, you know, nonsensical head coaching decisions. If I can't beat that point uh, into (laughs) people's heads. And then the other one is like, is Austin Eckler going to be on that roster or is he going to be traded? Because, for me, down. I I know I know we're in the era of the the running back as a devalued position, but if you look at how he's used in this offense, and a lot of it is because of Joe Lombardi, uh, who's no longer the offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore is. So expect there to be more shots down the field and more wide receiver usage. Um, 
but Eckler was averaging 1,600 yards and 19 touchdowns in you know the last couple of seasons uh, with the Chargers. And you know, you get rid of that safety blanket for for um, for Justin Herbert. Like that's going to be to me something interesting to watch. Is if they ship him off. Personally, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he means too much to this to this uh, offense. How they're going to justify paying this guy, I, I could not tell you the mental gymnastics that they're going to have to do to do it. Um, but I, I, I can't see Eckler really leaving. But if he does, this offense, to me, is going to take a big old hit. Yeah, and you, you know how I feel about running backs. At the end of the day, I think you let Austin Eckler walk. Um, you know, I get it. He's a big, big part of that offense. But, dude, the, the running back class is loaded this year. Like, like there's there's some tier one talent you can go out and get. Like, like B. John Robinson. Like, if you can somehow get him in the draft for the Chargers, bro, you set. Like, you are set. You've got somebody that's electric that could be the next great running back in the NFL, and you've got him on a rookie deal. So, Listen, at the end of the day, I, I think Austin Eckler is, is a wonderful, you know, piece of that offense, but you can let him walk easily, man. It, it is what it is with running backs. Mm. And then finally, Puma, the Denver Broncos, their three-point plan. What do you got, sir? So honestly, Jay, you know, the yeah. three-point plan, the first <laughs> plan is the first point on this plan is to take Sage and run it around Mile High <laughs> Stadium because that was an absolute dumpster fire last yeah. year. And it, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, get some Sage and burn it around the building. It it was just so bad. You had you had fans, you know, doing the countdown of the play clock uh, because nobody could keep time. Russell Wilson looked like he just came crashing back down to earth and looked completely washed. Um, you know, the the only bright spot on that team last year was honestly the defense. Everything yeah. else was just god awful, especially like when the Walton family just bought the team and you know this guy Russell Wilson was just paid by the previous ownership. So uh, definitely interesting. But for yeah. me. The other points of this plan is, is, is Sean Payton going to be able to resurrect Russell Wilson? And I know, you know, one of our videos, we got a lot of pushback from Broncos yeah. fans about Broncos saying fans that, were not happy with us. That, <laughs> that, hey, like, this is going to be a run-heavy team. Well, I'm sorry. It's going to be a run-heavy yeah. team. Like, I know that you have Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton on the roster. Maybe one of these guys is going to be traded by the, by, the, by the NFL draft or the trade deadline during the season. Who knows? But the signings of Mike McGlinchey and trying to fix that offensive line, you have Sean Payton that, you know, when he was the head coach of the Saints with Drew Brees, like Drew Brees led the league in play action. Like, and it wasn't even close. The Saints were by far and away the most heavy play action team in the NFL during that stretch. Uh, I think that he's going to try to recreate that with, you know, Javante Williams, assuming he's going to be good to go with the knee surgery and whatever running back they want to plug back there. But this is going to be, in my opinion, a run heavier team than people want to see. Well, let me let me expand on that real quick, just because I also have that as a point as well to fix Russell Wilson and whatever you can do to do that. But let's say he's not fixable. OK, let's say for whatever reason. Is there a contingency plan by Sean Payne besides the run game? Like, do you think Stidham is a contingency? Do you mm -hmm. think Sean Payne's going to go out there and draft somebody? Do you think there's a shooter drop, you know, sometimes in a draft with the Broncos uh, bringing on a veteran backup? But do you believe that if they can't fix Russell Wilson and you can't hide him with the run game, what's the backup plan there? I think it's going to be Jared Stidham. 
I, I, really? I mean, I, th- I think he's going to be the guy. I mean, obviously, if Sean Payton really wanted to have a security blanket, he would have traded for Taysom Hill by now. But mm-hmm. I think you could have Jared Sidham in there in this offense and potentially plug and play. Now, I'm not taking pot shots at Russell Wilson saying Jared Stidham's better, but let's just be completely honest. Like, going into the year right now and looking at what happened last season – the Seattle Seahawks look like friggin' geniuses of unloading him for a King's yep. ransom. And they just plugged and played and moved them right along with Geno Smith. So like they look like geniuses here. If Sean, Pay- Sean Payton now can say like, I tried everything that I could to try to fix Russell Wilson and it's not working out. Like he can kind of wash his hands clean of this situation. Kind of like what the giants could have done with uh with daniel jones if that whole situation went south like they could have just washed their hands clean moved on to the next uh but you know history happened and it is what it is but i think stidham would be the guy the next dude in the wings and and honestly like he was touted as the guy that was supposed to be the man in new england Mm -hmm. after brady left and then you had the cam newton fiasco and you know, he looked, I'm sorry, Jay, like he looked good he for right. the Raiders. So he did. He did. I mean, yeah. if you can get play like that, which wasn't, wasn't worse than what Russell Wilson was doing last year. And I get it. Oh, he looked good the last couple of weeks after they fired the head coach. Historically, every team <laughs> has a rebound after they fire a head coach. I'm just saying, and I'm not trying to piss off Broncos fans. It's a fact of life. They're going to be a run heavy team. It's going to be a lot of play action like it lump it get used to it it is what it is and then the last bit is the 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 broncos country's babies are coming after you puma you know what (laughs) but like you i'm sorry like i i like the team i went to denver denver's a fun city i was kind of pissed i didn't have enough time to go to the pro shop or check out a rockies game but i'm sorry like if you're if you're trading that much assets to get russell wilson thinking he's going to be the guy which Let's put all the laundry out there. Clearly, he was plan B because they hired Nathaniel Hackett thinking he was going to get Aaron Rodgers to Mile High Stadium, which would have been hilarious. He was doing ayahuasca in Denver. That would have been fantastic. But it didn't happen. He was the next guy uh, that they called up, you know, like the late night text, hey, you up type of deal. He was that dude. It didn't work out. I'm sorry. Get you get ready for for more run games, and I'm sorry to piss off all of the Broncos country's <laughs> fans, but it is what it is. And then the next thing, shocker, is the offensive line. You know, to Russ's defense, you can't really do a whole lot when you lead the league in getting sacked. I think he got sacked 53 times last year. Like they have they have to fix the offensive line. Mike McGlinchey is not great in pass pro, but go back to the last five minutes of my rant and they're just going to run the football and take the heat off. But the offensive line is going to be the deciding factor of whether or not Russell Wilson is going to be salvageable along with Sean Payton. Yeah. And then also like, you know, we already talked about the Russell Wilson thing and fixing him. So I'm not going to rehash all that, but you know, for me, the second point here is going to be, you got to keep Sutton and Judy in house. Like you can make him, you can make them work. Like I, I get it. You know, Son and Judy haven't lived up to their billing. And, you know, you've seen flashes of greatness, but nothing consistent. But I truly believe with, with Sean Payne and his system and how, how you know, like Mike Thomas and all these great wide receivers that have come through the New Orleans Saints uh, offense over the years, I truly believe you can see some some great special things coming out of Son and Judy if they work in Sean Payne's system. So keep those guys. I know they're on the trade block right now, but I think that might be just more – 
I don't know what that all is about. And truthfully, it might just be one of those things where they're waiting for some like wow draft pick, mm-hmm. some wow deal for them to move off of those guys. But whatever, man. And then finally, the last point is you got to trade down the draft to acquire some picks for for depth. Like I know right now this year they only have what five picks in the draft, which is which is fairly low. You're gonna need to acquire more picks. So I would move down, get more picks in the third, fourth, fifth round, and build some depth for your roster. Mm-hmm. And Jay, just to get back to like the wide receiver point, I still have hopes that Cortland Sutton can be what DK Metcalf mm-hmm. was to Russell Wilson in Seattle. Like he is that big body type of dude. I know he's had some, you know, he's had injury history, but like I'm still holding out hope that Sutton can be that guy and in this offense i think that it's very possible and jerry judy just needs to work on the drops like honestly mm-hmm. like th- that's just the one thing he has to fix but if they can get if they can just figure out a way to have russ work in this system <clears throat> this is going to be fun to watch and i think it yeah. might be the one team that could potentially go toe-to-toe with the kansas city chiefs i mean you mm-hmm. have the defense there I think this is going to be the last hope because I have no hope in the Raiders. I'm sorry, Raider Nation. And I'm sorry, Chargers fans. It's not happening. Like, I'm not holding my breath on Brandon Stanley. It's going to come down to, you know, whether or not Bron- the Broncos are going to be able to do it. Broncos country. Let's die. <laughs> That's what some of them were saying last year. Yeah, but yet I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. The Broncos country fans are coming for you, Puma. Watch out for the comments. It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. Well, at the end of the year, we'll look at the the play action stats yeah. and, and runs and whatnot, and you know we'll see we'll see what hashes out. Okay, okay. All right, bro. That's all I got, man. Do you want to get on, you want to hit on anything else, or do you want to plug it up and get out of here? No, nah, no, nah, I'm good. If we keep going. I'm just going to be adding more fuel to the fire of Broncos fans, which I would love to go back to Denver, by the way. But anywho, <laughs> this episode of the pod and previous episodes of the Pro Football Radio Podcast can be found on. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts at. Uh, also available on YouTube. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and the bell, get notifications. Uh, we'll go live at least once a week unless, you know, hey, stuff happens, life happens. But other than that, plan on once a week with this show, social media-wise, Facebook, Instagram, Pro Football Radio Podcast, uh, Twitter, at PFR Podcast. I'm on Twitter, Brando underscore Puma, the captain of the ship on the ones and the twos. Jay Chima is at Jay Chima. Like, subscribe, hit us up on the social media platforms, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. Via con Dios.